This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to Little Golden Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am delighted and proud to introduce him as Academy Award winner. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... The winner, it's a tie. And any little girl who's, who's practicing their speech on the telly, you never know. Mom, I just want an Oscar. I am Katie Rich. I'm here with Richard Lawson. Hello. And Rebecca Ford. Hi. Uh, it is Emmy's nominations eve week. There's <laughs> a way to say that. The Emmy nominations will be out next week. We'll have a special episode about that. So for now, we're going to do a little bit of final predictions. We've been talking about it for months. Um, but before that, we're going to look at the first half of the year in movies. We kind of teased this last week, looking at the success of Asteroid City. Um, maybe it's a good time to flag some of the other titles we think we might be talking about headed into the fall, because the year is halfway over, crazily enough. Um, and we also uh, wanted to start by welcoming some new Academy voters, or I guess prospective Academy voters. Um, Rebecca, the rule is that people can be invited to the Academy uh, as uh, I think 298 people were last week, but they don't necessarily have to accept, right? Yes. I feel like Ryan Coogler is the famous case of someone who was invited but did not accept. Um, but yeah, yes, I think 99% of people do accept and obviously considered a huge honor to join. We never know if they don't accept unless they tell us, right? Yes. So we just live <laughs> we live in the mystery. Um, yeah, we were looking at the list. Um, I think Taylor Swift was the name that certainly popped out to me. I put it in the uh, the headline of the write-up I did on it. Um, but Richard, any other Academy members you want to uh, single out and celebrate and hope they vote correctly? Well, I mean, I think that the Taylor Swift thing is interesting because I think I said in this podcast that last year when she was kind of in the running for two potential nominations, one for the uh, song from Where the Crawdads Sing and one for her short film. Um, she did pop up at some very like Academy specific or like Oscar season specific parties, mm-hmm. you know, sort of having serious conversations with Martin McDonough and whatnot. And so despite those <laughs> those nominations didn't happen like the academy said no 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 but we still we still want you as part of this club you know taylor swift mm-hmm. is running the biggest uh world tour in history at the moment i think she's going to be the first touring artist to make over a billion dollars so that that definitely seems like an interesting decision on the academy's part especially as taylor swift has written and directed her own film i don't know if it's already wrapped or whatnot but oh yeah that With is Search coming Light. yeah yeah um, and then, you know, you have, I mean, it's exciting that Kiwi Kwan, you know, now that he's a winner, has been um, invited. At this point, if you win and don't get invited, like, we just... Uh, Something's wrong. <laughs> we riot. Yeah, something, yeah. Like, something weird happened. Um, but Austin Butler getting in there was interesting because, you know, his career, his big film career is really just getting started. And um, yes, mm-hmm. he was nominated last year, but um, I'm surprised that they decided to rush that. Maybe they've seen Dune 2 and it's just that big a performance. <laughs> 
<laughs> I um, wondered about Bill Hader and what it was that kind of got him in the Academy this year, because obviously his TV career is pretty stellar. His film career is more limited. He's a famous film nerd. Like he is, his Criterion Closet video is famous. So maybe it just finally got there. Um, he seems like a very worthy member. But the, when it's someone who didn't just get nominated or just win, you're like, why now? Why what this happened? year? Yeah. I had the same feeling about Nicholas Holt. I thought he would have been invited the year of the favorite because that was yeah. such an Oscar friendly movie. But it, he was invited this year, too. So, yeah, it is. It does make me wonder, well, how do you decide this is the year for these people? Yeah. Paul Reiser also like, really, it took this long for you to let Paul Reiser be in the Academy? Um, do we want to talk about David Zasloff being invited to join the executive Oof. branch uh, the same week or the week after he got in TCM? However, that shook out. Um, that interesting look. The executive list is, list is always one of my favorite lists to go through because you're just like, huh, interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, I feel like there hasn't been a week that's gone by lately that we haven't, you know, seen his name circulating around in some sort of news. So, uh, you know, he, he's 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 there now. And I, I also thought like Bella Baharia is interesting. I mean, there's a, quite a few Netflix names. I, I wonder if we broke it down by studio which which studio has the most execs on the academy list because obviously there's some uh you know preference with how they vote i would assume for all of them but yeah i mean there's also names to that list like janet pearson the head of south by southwest like why what took her so long to get it like everything everywhere all at once premieres there and wins best <laughs> picture so then a year later you you put her on the list i think if you look at the actors who were invited you're seeing actors from rrr uh ram charan um you have Nomi Merlant, uh, the French actress who was in Tar, uh, Parquet Ill, which um, uh, they were in Decision to Leave, the Park Chan-wook film. Um, so, yeah, you see a reflection of the more international Vicky Creeps, finally, at long last. Oh, yeah. They, your letters, they finally received them, Richard. Yeah, Dolly Delion's cool. Um, yeah, it's an interesting... I just would love to see what that decision process is like. I mean, Raul Castillo... Um, who people will know, well, very few people will know from looking. Uh, he's been great in a bunch of things. He was in the inspection, uh, last year, Cha Cha Real Smooth previous to that. Um, he's a pretty like indie actor in a lot of ways. And so I'm just curious, like, how someone like him got the attention of the Academy the same year that Selma Blair did. Yeah. You know, like I just I would love to a peek into that process. Oh, also Sakura Ando, who was really good in the new, um, Coreda film at Cannes. I feel like we should uh, shout out Brooke Smith, famous for Silence of the Lambs, who tweeted that she had had an Academy Award winning friend uh, submit her as a potential Academy member this year and had um, not been selected. Uh, good for her for opening up about it. I personally wonder if it was Jodie Foster. Just have to. Um, love Brooke Smith in the Academy, you guys. Maybe it was Ted Levine and they were just like, that's too creepy. We can't we can't have <laughs> Buffalo Bill nominating Catherine Martin to be in the Academy. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. 
with exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Okay, sticking with the topic of the Oscars, um, as I said, we want to look at the first half of the year, the Oscar buzz that may linger. I think we, well, I was going to say we may all agree that there's not an everything everywhere all at once that will have opened in the first half of the year and win Best Picture, but we wouldn't have said that this time last year. So who knows? I do think any conversation about this has to start with Past Lives, which is A24's spring hit this year. Um, To me, and I still haven't seen it yet, but to me, that seems like if you're going to pick one movie from the first half of the year that's going to get a Best Picture nomination, that has to be it, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would hope so. It, it's done pretty well in its slow expansion um, at the box office. Obviously, most of the reviews are good. Um, if people are interesting in, interested in a dissenting opinion on that movie, Alison Wilmore at New York Magazine wrote a really interesting negative review of that movie that, that made me think. It didn't deter me from, from liking the movie as much as I do. But um, it's not all love all the time for past lives, but it's mostly been that. And... Um, not only is it great filmmaking, great writing, um, but it's two slash three actually central performances are, are really great. So I would hope that they can last the long journey from Sundance to the Oscars almost a year later. Well, the nominations yeah. will be about exactly a year from when it premiered. Yeah, that's that's always the case with the Sundance titles. Yeah, I think they're running a really smart campaign. I mean, they, you know, A24 knows how to do that uh, marathon as we've seen. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think it for me, it's definitely the one that stands out the most. And I, I think has a really strong chance of being in the conversation for the whole, whole long year. But the, the campaign they have to run is different. Like everything oh, ever yeah. all at once is a distinctive movie. But I think A24 has done well kind of tailoring what they do to the actual titles themselves um and i'll be very interested to see like what the push is for past lives in a different way than it was for their last best picture winner yeah i mean it's not the same film as moonlight in any way but it's the smaller quieter movie like Mm -hmm. that so um you know that was their their first win but um you know i think they really know how to carefully release these movies do we think Celine Song is ready for for this push? I mean, you talked to her, Rebecca, and like Barry Jenkins, I think, was so like game for the long, long push for Moonlight and was such a key element of that. And the Daniels, to some extent, were too. Like, they got to have a personality to drive these things, right? Yeah, I feel like having a charismatic director is really key if, you're, <laughs> if your movie's doing a little bit more of an uphill battle. Charismatic um, and tireless, just yeah. willing to travel. Yeah, I did it. I moderated a Q&A with her and the cast, and she's she's a delight to be around. She's very, very smart, but also very warm and, and seemed just really excited that people you know, love the movie. I mean, she was a playwright. This is her first film. So I think yeah. she's just sort of embracing the whole thing. And, and I was like, okay, just pace yourself. But she seemed totally um, game to do it. So I, I think she'll be willing. 
Yeah, coming from the theater world, I mean, those people have to really hustle hard for anything. That's true. <laughs> um, so hopefully that uh, is an advantage. I mean, Barry Jenkins, you know, the, it, Moonlight was not his first film, and he also was a Telluride guy. You know, he'd volunteered mm-hmm. there. He was he was part of their family, uh, you know, as they spoke about it when Moonlight premiered and, and subsequently. Um, and so he did have a bit of industry, I don't know, connection, I guess. Um, behind him that Celine Song has. I mean, also, these movies are not <laughs> very similar, except for the, they're the same uh, distributor. But but you know that they're going to, like, meant, like when Oscar voter, when Oscar ballots start assembling, we start being like, what are, what's going to oh, make yeah. up a 10? Like, they occupy a similar spot on a list like yeah. that. I mean, I would hope that Past Lives, its gentleness does not uh, mean that it will be overlooked. I mean... These, you know, the Academy is trying to diversify what kind of movies they nominate for for their biggest awards, uh, with some success. But I, I still think if you look at uh, movies that have had, you know, done well in, in recent years, it's big, loud stuff. You know, of a varying sort. I mean, everything, everywhere is different from three billboards or whatever. But you know, they're more aggressive, I guess. And Past Lives is really the opposite of that. Um, so hopefully. There is room for a movie like that as it contends with, um, you know, Blitz and a Scorsese movie and Maestro and whatever else we have coming our way this fall. Yeah. Okay. If we're picking a second place spot, is it Asteroid City? Is there anything else that could realistically fit into a Best Picture 10? I mean, Asteroid City, given how well, how, how good its reviews were and how well it's done at the box office, relatively speaking, yeah, I think that maybe for the first time in 10 years, uh, Budapest Hotel was the last time that an Anderson movie really registered it with the Oscars, and actually the only time that he'd really been nominated for Best Director. Yeah, maybe maybe he's due. Um, I don't. I have a weird... I mean, maybe it's... I'm, I'm overblowing it, but like, is air at all something that we should keep an eye on? I was going to ask the same question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It just went so deadly silent after it was its release that... It's hard to tell. And I think the fall is going to be so packed that that is really going to just push it further down the list. But, you know, in the weeks leading up to its release, there was a ton of buzz around it. So yeah, maybe it could have a comeback. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing can bounce back, especially like, I don't know where we are in the Ben and Matt cycle of backlash versus pre-backlash. I mean, they've been through so many of them that like maybe they're <laughs> immune to it. Um, But I did think that their story and, you know, the company that they've started to make this movie that, you know, is sharing profits with the people who help make the movie, like there, there is a compelling story to that. And if you're looking for something that's like, mainstream movie that appeals to grown-ups and made some money. It made $52 million at the box office, which is not nothing. Um, there's not going to be a whole lot else in that spot, usually, so why not? Do you feel more bullish, Richard, on Air than Asteroid City? Like, if, you, no. if I'm just making you choose. No, I don't. I mean, I think that Air was just sort of spoken about that, like, as an Oscar, potential Oscar movie around the time of its release. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, it, like Rebecca said, it just wasn't that sticky in, in, in like, discourse or whatever people aren't really still talking about that movie so uh, they would i mean i think amazon also has like other stuff on the way uh in the fall that they might prioritize but but i think yeah they have saltburn which the emerald fennel movie which i think we have a lot of reason to really anticipate yeah they have a movie with saoirse ronan and paul meskel Mm -hmm. um you know there's stuff and so maybe their slate is too full but air was a big sort of statement from the people who made it about 
you know, a, a new model of, of uh, compensation in Hollywood as these strikes, well, one, mm-hmm. other, some strikes loom, one on, is ongoing. <laughs> yeah, I guess by the time this comes out, we still won't know if there's a tax strike. Right. <laughs> just trying to tell how dated it will be. Um, maybe that sort, that sort of behind the scenes, you know, seeming triumph of for labor in Hollywood will will give it an edge. But um, no, I think between the two of those, I think Asteroid City um, is the much surer bet. My parents went to see Asteroid City in the theaters. And like as my that's my anecdotal evidence of choice that people care about this movie. Um, And we'll see how that translates in the months to come. So I think we should also just shout out our personal champions that we don't want people to forget about you know not something that i want to like objectively predict will have buzz but that i hope will and i might i wanted to start this with a listener email from andrew who wanted to throw out uh, jennifer lawrence and no hard feelings for a best actress nomination um he, he said it came to him in a dream which i love <laughs> um and he knows it's an uphill climb it's a capital c comedy but look she's showing a new side of her a new side of herself it's making money could this happen or am i just wishful thinking I would say mostly wishful thinking, but look, I don't see any reason not to keep talking about it. I think the Globes may be calling her name mm. since they have the comedy category. Sure. But, but hey, uh, that could build buzz again. Like if that best actress field winds up being thin. I don't know. I mean, I'd love a, a Jennifer Lawrence Oscar season. I think she's just the best. <laughs> I just don't know if she would stuff. love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> She was pretty delightful on the No Hard Feelings tour. Like, yeah. I guess it's not as grueling as an Oscar campaign, but um, it, it has felt really good to have her back. And I'm guessing we're not the only ones who might feel that way. I mean, it's fun to think about that. It's also fun to think about Patti LuPone getting nominated for Bo is Afraid. I mm-hmm. think that movie needed to be a bit bigger than it was for that to really happen. Um, but like Past Lives and Celine Song, like Patti LuPone... She's not out of it because there's still critic stuff to come, you know, New York Film Critics mm-hmm. Circle and other and other groups. Sounds like um, I know where your vote's going. Well, who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, but but actually, you know, in the supporting actress race already, I would I would give uh, Lapone some competition in Rachel McAdams and Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Like she's so good in that. I was gonna say that. I I will do whatever it takes to just keep talking about her. Um, like I devote a weekly segment to it because that performance was so incredible. That move, that movie made some money, um, but I just really don't want her to be forgotten because it's hard to I, hard for me to imagine at least a warmer performance that's going to come out this year. Rebecca, do you have any personal favorites you don't want people to forget? Well. Not favorites, but I'm curious about uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, just because I know the first film was kind of in debate for Best Picture. I won the animated Oscar that year. I I feel like people were talking about that again with this Mm -hmm. film. So I'm curious about that. And then I was just looking back at releases and I totally forgot that Creed 3 came out this year. (laughs) But I remember seeing that and be like, wow, you know, uh, these are both very underdog uh, picks here. But, you know, Michael B. Jordan can direct. And I Mm -hmm. think this is a very enjoyable sports movie. And maybe, you know, years ago, this would have been more in contention. Obviously, it's got some more complicated aspects to it now. Um, But they're both kind of movies that I'm like, curious to watch to see how big they do push to to try to be remain a part of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, on the animated track, I mean, I know we're mostly talking about best picture stuff. But um, like the Super Mario Brothers movie was is the biggest movie of the year thus far, I'm pretty sure. Um, Enormous. But not that well liked by critics, you know, and maybe mm-hmm. people in the industry will sort of sniff it. Like, it looks pretty, but the writing is kind of bad and the voice performances are not great. And 
I, I wonder if that is maybe too lowbrow for an animated nomination um, when there is stuff like Spider-Verse to contend with. Um, Pixar kind of fizzled with Elemental. So yeah. that could be an interesting uh, little race there. But I don't know, maybe um, Spider-Verse can, can repeat. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the top of my head because Disney's got Wish, that like not a princess movie, but it's about a wish that Ariana, De- Ariana DeBose voices coming at like the holidays. But yeah, I mean, Pixar kind of falling flat on its face again um, does open that up in a really interesting way. Also, have we forgotten any international releases that because you know that's going to be there's going to be at least one in Best Picture. Well, that's I'm... where I look toward Richard's list of the best movies so far of the year because yeah. he's, yeah. he's most well... likely to keep track. Yeah, but except some, a lot of those that came out in, let's say, February, March, April, those were eligible last year. Oh, mm, right. Yeah, the international qualifying gets really complicated. The international stuff really, that conversation obviously starts at Cannes and Berlin sometimes, obviously, uh, before that in February. Um, but Cannes is really the, the major kickoff. And then when some stuff replays at Toronto and New York Film Festival, you start to see, okay, which films are now sort of slotting into... Um, that competition. Other things can emerge, you know, past September or October. But um, yeah, I think we don't quite know uh, where we are on that front yet. I would assume the zone of interest. I would assume the Palm Door winner, uh, Anatomy of a Fall. I would I would hope that Amaldovar gets nominated for short for um, Strange Ways oh, yeah. Life. Yeah. Isn't there another really starry short that we've been talking about that might be up against Almodovar. Or my, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I remember thinking that that would make the short series really fun and that he'd have some competition, but uh, I'm sure that I'm sure yeah. Taylor Swift will emerge or someone else will emerge to make <laughs> yeah. that race interesting. Yeah. Um, I would also love to see Julia Louis Dreyfus get mm-hmm. sort of a push, but I think uh, for uh, you hurt my feelings, but a 24 has its hands full. Searchlight has maybe less of its hands full now than it did in January because I just don't think that um, Magazine Dreams is going to come out. Yeah. Um, as yeah, as planned. Um, so I'll curious, well, curious to see what what they kind of pivot to if they actually have anything to pivot to. Well, they've got um, Next Goal Wins, right? Which we haven't seen, but was announced last week as playing in Toronto, which, you know, is to be expected. You know, Taika Waititi won the audience award with Jojo Rabbit. Um, but that feels like a pretty strong contender and that tiff slot suggests that they think it's a pretty strong contender yeah oh richard you mentioned hurt my you hurt my feelings i mean nicole hollow center i believe her only nomination still is for can you ever forgive me a movie that you know she co-wrote but didn't get to direct in the end it would be really nice to see her finally get nominated for one of her exceptional screenplays yeah and there is precedent for that sometimes a lone nomination comes in screenplay you know and um that would be really exciting. It's a great, witty, thoughtful script. And um, that movie didn't do as well as I'd hoped it would. I, I, I do have to question the great wisdom of A24 on that one, where it's like, <laughs> I just don't understand the release strategy for that movie. It sort of opened wider than it should have and kind of in a crowded time right before past lives. And it just didn't feel like it had a lot of room to breathe. Um, but they, I mean, they know more better about distribution than I do, but, um, I don't know. It feels like maybe that could have done something later in the summer, like in August or, or even in the fall. Let's throw out, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret for screenplay. Also, sure. uh, yeah. Kelly Furman Craig adapting that book that kind of felt unadaptable in so many ways. And it's just such a treasure. Yeah. And she won, you know, uh, well, I guess it was a tie, but Kelly Freeman Craig did get a, a prize for best first feature at the New York Film Critics Circle for Edge of 17. Mm-hmm. So she's not a stranger to the award circuit, um, even though I think 
Edge of 17. Didn't get quite as recognized as it should have for being as good as it is. But yeah, that would be exciting. I mean, Margaret, again, didn't do very well at the box office, sadly. Um, I think that was a problem of brand identification. It's a 50-year-old novel. Um, Maybe there was a different way to sell that movie. Or maybe this is one of those cases where it should have just been on streaming because people can more casually watch it. No, put it in the I know, theaters I know, and then I know. let people watch it. I know. And, it, and it is. I mean, it's going to be on. It's. I think it might already be somewhere. I think people will discover it over time. I mean, Edge of Seventeen was a really similar thing where, um, you know, it kind of came and went, and then as the years have gone on, you just hear more and more people talk about how special it is. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Okay, to wrap things up, um, you will hear from us next week as the Emmy nominations have just come out. We'll be uh, parsing through all of them. We have been talking about the Emmys a lot over the course of the spring, so I don't think we necessarily need to predict category by category. Um, So I kind of wanted to see if we can just make a bold prediction or a hope-for prediction or kind of a broader sense of what we think is going to happen beyond just like, I think Karen Culkin will get a Best Actor nomination in drama because... You know, again, we've talked about that. Um, so I might start by jumping off of something we talked about last week in the limited series thing that a friend of mine texted me about um, because he argued that he had never, ever heard of a small light. And I was saying <laughs> I've been seeing it advertised everywhere. And I just want to say, I think it's going to overperform and not just because the FYC ads are everywhere. Um, as David and I have talked about, it's also pretty good. It is a series about Meep Geese, who hid and Frank and her family. Um, I just think you're going to see that on the list in various places and say, what is that? And I just want you to know. That I said, I told you what it was. <laughs> you should all watch it before the Emmys happen. Um, all right. Who else wants to take bragging rights and predict something that you think will be a trend or something surprising? Oh, Katie, you came up with this question. You had more time to think <laughs> I about know, it than I us. Know. <laughs> um, I'm going to do more of like a hope. Sure. Uh, than a prediction. But I, I would love to see Bad Sisters represented. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going drama. And I think it has a bunch of great performances. Um, Does it make sense as a drama? I don't. I mean, gender? we would have to look at, you know, when you look at the dark comedies that, you know, with Barry and the bear being comedies. I don't know. Does it make sense? I, I don't know if it <laughs> what hurts. What is a comedy? What is a comedy? I, they need a new category. So, yeah, I think that is a little... Uh, surprising it's a drama but um, I think it, it has such a strong ensemble I thought it was such an enjoyable watch I feel like it, the conversation has fizzled a little around it you know so I would love to see it show up there or Sharon Horgan in acting or writing just some some representation would be I think really great and then my other hope is um, for somebody somewhere or Bridget Everett because I, I thought it was a pretty incredible season and, and it didn't get a lot of love for its first so those are my two wishes but uh, I don't know I, I, I feel like there's always pleasant surprises on Emmy nominations Definitely. morning so I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that there will be some choices that make us very happy. Uh, I'm curious about the other two which um, you know had a pretty lauded season three premiere people you know got good reviews um it's kind of a culty beloved show that maybe got a little more attention than it had in its previous seasons this year um great performances from drew tarver and helena york and molly shannon ken marino who was also great on party down that that revival um that would be a fun supporting actor nomination for one of those two projects um but 
now we know that the other two, it was its final season uh, for various reasons, perhaps unrelated or related, I don't know, is that there were some HR complaints about how the show was being run uh, by its two creators. Uh, so maybe that has marred the other two's uh, nascent trip to uh, Awards Town. <laughs> um, All of that came out after Emmy voting ended, I that's believe. That's true. That's true. So so maybe it will be... Re- I, I don't think it will be. I think that show is a little too small and, and I'll say it too gay to, <laughs> to, mm. to register, but um, especially when there are so many other shows in comedy competing against it. Um, I have to say I watched a lot of season two of The Bear, uh, and I know that the tone is different than season one, but uh, the comedy thing just still baffles me there. (laughs) I mean, I'll say I talked to some representatives who may work with some of that talent, and even they are like, why is this show (laughs) comedy? So we're not the only ones confused by that. Should we go back to, uh, because wasn't it for a while, like if you were 30 minutes, you were a comedy, and if you were an hour, you were a drama no matter what? Like, (laughs) then Ted Lasso just busts the whole thing by being an hour and a half long in every episode. (laughs) That rule is so, like, old by now and not followed that it feels weird that that's the explanation for you know, this one show. I don't know. It does feel like these categories continue to need a revamp, but what is the solution to this problem? You know? Yeah, because you would rather it be less specific than more because you get more interesting shows when you don't totally know where they're going to land. To bounce back to um, Bad Sisters for a second, I was looking at the drama actress category, and we've we've talked about this, about Sarah Snook basically um, having the feel to herself now that she's bumped up in the category. Um, it does feel thin in a way that makes me think that something weird could happen, like Sharon Horgan getting in there. I'm seeing some predictions for Kelly Riley for Yellowstone, who's playing this like long running fan favorite character. Um, the crown feels so weak to me that like, is Imelda Staunton going to get nominated? I'm not sure. Um, I think there could be some interesting surprises in there. Yeah. I think Carrie Russell for the diplomat um, mm-hmm. is an interesting. I think we're all rooting for her, right? Yeah. That would be kind of fun kind of a wild swing for her that works um yeah the crown being in even in these predictions is like wait but what that was 10 years ago right? i know i <laughs> i truly don't know when the crown aired which is um very strange it's a weird and, feeling and so much has happened with the royals since isn't there there must be royal fatigue right like <laughs> Well, at the end of this week, we will be publishing our predictions for all of these categories. So we'll be a little bit more decisive than we can be here. And I uh, try to sort through how many nominees there will be in each category, which is impossible to figure out on a regular basis. Um, and then again, on Wednesday, July 12th, we will have an episode uh, as soon as we can after the nominations come out to talk about what it all means and, um, you know, maybe get crazy and predict the winners because we usually can't help ourselves. So stay tuned for that. And then before we go, Richard, uh, your review of... Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. I got that right, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is up now. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. Um, but in your review, you made it sound like that uh, the incredible efforts towards spectacle that they made during the pandemic um, pretty much paid off. Yeah, I mean, the effort is evident in the title. There's a semicolon, an M, <laughs> or, or no, a full colon, an M dash, and a number. I mean, that's that's rare. Um, yes, it does pay off. I mean, I think that the, uh, there are two things to say about that. One is that as effective as they were as marketing, the videos of crews doing the big cliff jump on the motorcycle into a base jump stunt, it does kind of dampen the impact when you actually see it because you've already seen it. Um, which I, so I think I, that's a tough kind of catch 22, you know, kind of thing where it's like, I'm glad we saw it, but also I wish we hadn't. Um, but also the first half of this movie, which is pretty long, it's just shy of three hours. Um, it's really trying to struggling to get its 
gears turning and you're I, I watched you know the first hour let's say a little bit worried because i loved the, the past movie fallout the last one so much um but then it gets there you know and everything from the motorcycle jump onward is incredibly exciting and there's a great um sort of nighttime street chase through venice uh, earlier than that in the film that's that's really well done christopher mccory who directed the film um as he has the past couple um he is doing a different tack stylistically than Fallout, which was very Nolan-esque in its sort of pomp and grandeur. And this is more returning to the De Palma style from the original Mission Impossible film uh, in a kind of, you know, skewed camera angles, kind of moody, melodrama-y kind of feel to it, um, which I think works when it works and then kind of doesn't when it doesn't. And that's, um, it's a little bit unsteadier, let's say, than the past couple installments have been. So box office wise, I mean, this is one of the huge hopes for the summer and we're running out of them uh, Mm -hmm. now that we're in July. I worry a little bit that um, it's just not going to connect in the way that it needs to, given how much it reportedly cost, which is in, I think, over $300 million. Yeah, but you didn't have to pay for it, so who cares? Well, no, <laughs> I did. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. They were like, "You like Fallout so much? Pay us for the set for the next one." I think one. we need to talk about your financial choices. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm letting myself feel kind of optimistic that maybe Mission Impossible, Barbie, and Oppenheimer will work, and July will be really good. Is am I setting myself up for disappointment? Do you think? No, I don't think I'm, so. I, yeah, I'm optimistic with you. I feel I'm feeling really good about it. I can see the headlines now about how the box office is back. <laughs> <laughs> After all of June being like, it's over. <laughs> no right. one's going movies anymore. I mean, I'm sure we will spend plenty of time the next couple of weeks talking about Boppenheimer, as I'm choosing to call it. I know that's not the preferred portmanteau, but it's much better. Um, it's much better. I do think that if we have to kind of pick one horse to win, or actually, let's say one horse to lose. I, I think Oppenheimer might have a little more trouble than it's sort of the fervor surrounding it suggests. You oh, know? a three-hour movie about uh, World War II and the atomic bomb and like the regret is right. not a great summer sell. With a famous name in the title, but like not that famous, you know. Yeah, not as um, famous as Barbie. All respect to you, not. Robert Oppenheimer. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, obviously, the the whole joke of them coming out in the same day is that they they seem to serve very different audiences. I would say everyone on this podcast are served by both films, but Absolutely. Um, but um yeah, I think that Mission Impossible hopefully will pave a good runway for those two films and all three can um help revive or prop up a sagging summer season. Um yeah. but I don't know. I mean, I think Mission Impossible is so reliant I think on international money. Um, which has been unsteady in China and elsewhere um, since the pandemic. And so I just, I don't know. We'll see. Well, I'll be there for all three. I'm not going to triple feature them because I think that would (laughs) would wear wear out anybody. Um, But yes, I think we'll have a lot to get into as July goes onward. That does it for today's show. We'll be back next week to talk about the Emmy nominations. In the meantime, find us at Vanity Fair on Twitter and Instagram at VF Awards Insider. And on our own, I am at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylaws. And Rebecca. Rebecca M. Ford. Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs. And this week's award for the best reason to break ancient little gold men law and record an episode without David Canfield goes to Rebecca Ford. That rule is so, like, old by now and not followed.
I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.